Often, we overlook the power of young people to create change. Yes to Youth is a podcast series getting to know changemakers who started early and are making a real impact, in spite of and often because of their age and identity. Yes to Youth is presented by Let's Care in collaboration with LearnServe International, which equips high school students from diverse backgrounds with the entrepreneurial vision, tenacity, confidence, and leadership skills needed to tackle social challenges at home and abroad. I'm your host, Matt Scott. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this live conversation with Clint Smith. My name is Matt Scott. I am um, a longtime volunteer with LearnServe going back to 2015 when I became a mentor. I served as mentor coordinator, um, as a member of the Growth Council, and just as a community member who's loved what LearnServe's up to. Um, and this is the live conversation with Clint where you'll hear from me. You'll hear from um, a number of alumni of LearnServe. Um, in conversation with Clint about um, himself, his important work. But uh, just to set things up, I'm Matt Scott. I am a storyteller in my work. I work full-time at the Climate Solutions nonprofit Project Drawdown. I'm doing storytelling there and passing the mic to voices that often go unheard. And I'm also the creator of Let's Care, which is what this live stream is in collaboration with. Um, and as the founder of Let's Care, I've interviewed 100 plus change makers from all around the world and excited to include Clint and actually all of our guests today as um, some of those change makers. But, um, you know, really, when I think about this conversation, I think about how LearnServe has this power to not only believe in the power of young people to create change, but also to inspire the impact that so many of us make. Um, I mentioned being the founder of Let's Care, which I started five years ago in 2017. And I was really inspired by LearnServe and seeing other young people, even younger than me, doing powerful things. Um, and I said, why can't I create my own venture? And here I am still doing that work. I'm actually doing it full time now today. So LearnServe has a powerful impact on all involved. And I'm excited to dive in to hear more about Clint's story with LearnServe. Um, but first, I want to welcome in uh, someone with the LearnServe community, who the LearnServe community knows well, to talk a bit more about who Clint is and to um, set up what's happening this, this week, the 2022 LearnServe Virtual Gala themed bridging communities and sparking change. Um, so uh, without further ado, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about the gala as we go along, let me just welcome in uh, the one and only Scott Reckler. Scott, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much, Matt, for hosting this conversation and for having us all on your podcast. Yes. Um, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful to be here with everyone. And Clint, I was thinking it's a real honor to be here with you. I've been following your work since you were a LearnServe advisor at Parkdale High School about a decade ago, mentoring LearnServe students, and I've been a fan of yours ever since. Um, and I must say also to Ramaya, to Charlotte Rose, Chris, and Kayla, I've been following your pursuit of social justice since you were LearnServe students, and it's a real joy to see you and learn from you as always. And I think for me, each one of you really embodies LearnServe's mission, LearnServe's essence, the power of young people to create social change. Um, and so I'm just really excited to be here having this conversation. And in preparation for that, um, Matt, I've been thinking a lot about history. 
And mm-hmm. I feel like we often frame it in the negative. Like if we don't understand history, we're doomed to repeat it. Um, I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking about it more in the positive frame of saying without knowing where we've been as a society, it's impossible right. to know where we are, let alone where we might have the opportunity to be in the future. Um, and so I think that's really the case that's often made for studying history. But I think, Clint, your writing and your speaking, it actually takes it one layer deeper. Um, in your book, How the Word is Passed, the way that I describe it to people, I don't know if you describe it that way, is part history, part ethnography, and part memoir, where you help us understand not only the history itself, but really how each one of us understands history. Um, and when I look at our country, when I look at the world, I feel like that's what's missing, this deep empathy and really trying to understand each other. And for me, that's the heart, that's the essence of what social change is all about. Uh, It's also really what I want every single one of the students who goes through LearnServe programs to understand, that it's not just enough to know about history, it's not just enough to know about policy. At the core, it's really about understanding people. How do they understand history, their past and the past in general? How do they experience the presence and really what is their hope for the future? And for me, that's really, that's how we strive for justice. That's how we create change. And so really on behalf of the entire LearnServe family with my hat on as co-director of LearnServe International, I really wanna thank each one of you for your vision, your leadership and your voice. And I am really, really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you, Matt, for facilitating this. And it's a, a true honor and pleasure to be here with you all today. Yeah, and thank you so much, Scott, for those words. And before welcoming in Clint, I want to mention, of course, uh, Clint is is um, well. One, there's there's you're going to learn a lot about Clint as we go along. So I will not take the time uh, to put words in his mouth. I'm sure he will tell you more about his story. But he is the recipient of the Civic Champion Award as part of LearnServe's gala this week on Thursday. It's happening April 28th. So you could. If you're watching here on YouTube, see the link to RSVP to register to be part of the virtual gala um, at learn-serve.org slash gala 2022. Um, And over the course of this hour, you'll also be hearing from Charlotte Rose Lamott, Ramaya Davis, Chris Cole, and Kayla Waysom, uh, four incredible LearnServe alumni who I can't wait for you to meet. But first and foremost, let me introduce... Uh, the one, the only, there's nothing else I could add on top of Scott's beautiful words. Uh, Clint, thank you so much for, for being here and for being part of this conversation. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for those kind words, Scott. It, it really, it means a lot. You're most welcome. Yeah. yeah, this is powerful. And, and, um, actually, you know, while Scott's here, I just want to ask you, Clint, um, as we start out, what has been your journey with Scott with LearnServe um, to date? Yeah, so I think Scott sent me some old emails uh, not too long ago from when we first were in touch. I think it was 2012 or 2013, mm-hmm. so like a decade ago. Uh, I was a, a young teacher in Prince George's County, Maryland. I was teaching high school English at Parkdale High School. Uh, and And I was looking for ways that my students could engage with other students from different schools, other communities, um, and something that, you know, I had I had such a, a formative impact um, and a transformative uh, experience when I studied abroad as a college student. I studied abroad in, in Senegal, in Dakar, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it, it changed my life in ways that I, I think I'm still discovering every day. And 
I always imagined how transformative it would have been to travel abroad in that kind of context when I was in high school, even before then. And so I was, you know, looking around and thinking about uh, what, where I might be able to find some of those opportunities for my students and, and met some people who had been involved in LearnServe, who connected me to Scott and started to learn more about it. And, uh, you know, this was when, you know, LearnServe is, is obviously a remarkable, well-established uh, nonprofit led by Scott and, and others now, but it was in, I think it is earlier, an earlier iteration of itself. Um, and so Scott was was excited about the opportunity to expand into a new school, a new program, and and I had students who were excited about the opportunity, and I was excited about you know trying to bring be the glue that brought them together. So it uh, I think we started that either later that year or the next year, and um, had a couple cohorts of really of really great students who I hear, still hear from about um, uh, about their experience in the program, and and yeah, just it, it was a really I think a really powerful thing in part because it it was the first time I'd seen many of my students engage with with young people who came from such a different range of backgrounds, both, mm-hmm. you know, not only in an international context, but also around the DC metro area, right? Part of the, uh, what's so, so generative about LearnServe for the young people who are a part of it is that it really pushed you, you get to engage with uh, other students from other schools whose racial, the socioeconomic, um, or cultural, national um, backgrounds are, are different from your own. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I know that, you know, you've obviously had a lot of experience with LearnServe, Matt. Um, yeah. And, and it's something that I, that I hear constantly from the people who've been part of it, is that that is one of the most um, formative pieces of it, is that opportunity to, to sort of you know, they don't necessarily frame it in this way, but really it's expanding your your sense of empathy, your sense of understanding mm-hmm. um, about, you know, other people and, and how other people move through and navigate the world. And uh, and I, I just think that as a as, as a human, like that that is at the essence of like what it means to become a better person is to to gain a deeper a deeper well of empathy, a deeper sense of um your both your differences, but also your our our collective proximity to to so many of the issues that affect all of us. Yeah, that's so beautifully said, Scott. Uh, before before I let you go and welcome in Charlotte Rose, uh, our first guest. Any other any words uh, that you want to say mm-hmm. about Clint to Clint, uh, who is probably too maybe too humble to give himself all of the accolades that he deserves uh, in this moment. Clint, I feel like you you speak for yourself and your words speak for themselves. But as you were sharing that story, I was in touch with one of the students that you worked with when you were a LearnServe advisor, who has followed in your footsteps as a Teach for America educator and is now an educator in the classroom at a charter school in DC. And I think for me, like that's that's the power. And when we talk about how the word is passed, it's both our understanding of history, but it's also what are the lessons, the values, the priorities that we pass on from one generation to the next. And in so many ways, you you live that, you embody that, and I think <laughs> so much of what you describe is what what I aspire to do as an educator, working within the context of LearnServe as well. And so, just yeah, thank you for your vision and leadership, and we're we're thrilled to be able to honor you on Thursday for uh, with the Civic Champion Award for LearnServe's Gala this year. So thank you, thank I you so much, it. Scott, for joining in and. 
Uh, I am about to welcome in uh, none other than Charlotte Rose Lamont, who is, uh, well, who, actually, I will give Charlotte Rose the chance to really introduce herself and speak to herself. But um, when I think of Charlotte Rose and why Charlotte Rose is such a great, um, great person, a great guest to start this conversation off with, it's just because as as we connected, as we've connected in the past, I interviewed Charlotte Rose as part as of the Yes to Youth podcast with LearnServe last year. Um, there's so much curiosity in how Charlotte Rose navigates the world. And I think that that's really critical to um, not only the work that you've done, Clint, how the word is passed. I have my, my copy right here. Thank you, Scott Reckler. Um, but also um, just in terms of how we make an impact. And so Charlotte Rose, I just want to welcome you as part of this and, and give you a chance to introduce yourself and your journey with LearnServe today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Matt, and for those kind words. Um, my name is Charlotte Rose. I'm a current second year at the University of Chicago. I participated in the LearnServe's in LearnServe's Fellows Incubator and Incubator Program, and then my senior year worked as uh, kind of an intern, ambassador, mentor for people going through the Incubator Program. So I was it was a huge part of my high school career. Um, I focused my project on teens with type 1 diabetes, helping them improve their blood sugar um, through an incentive program. And it worked pretty well. And while I didn't stick with the program after LearnServe, I have stayed involved with, with the T1D community, mostly because I also do have type 1 diabetes. Um, and I've also stayed involved with, with LearnServe because of all the incredible things it gave me, all the incredible opportunities and people that I got to meet. And it was just, it was such a great part of my life. So just to kind of maybe spark things a little bit here, I want to turn to you, Charlotte Rose, and ask, like, when it comes to Clint, because I know you're you're familiar with Clint, like, what is it that uh, you're most curious about talking about and diving into today? Yeah, I um, am so fascinated by the, um, I've listened to a lot of your TED Talks and a lot of your um, you know, I've listened to some of your poetry and, and clips of your book. Um, and I think it's really fascinating the way that you started off with your, you know, you connect it all back to your childhood and growing up in a diverse community, but how outside of that community, there was like, there was Confederate flags. It was like a whole other world. And it's, and how we're living in a, we live in a country where in one place, everything seems one way and then you go 20 miles in a certain direction and the whole world changes um so that's really fascinating to me as you know I'm very grateful to be able to sit here and talk to you about that yeah yeah, yeah. Clint, i'm i'm so curious to hear about your work with with that and you know one thing like Charlotte Rose, I'm not sure if I mentioned it already, but of course you study sociology and social structures. So how does, Clint, how does what Charlotte Rose mentioned just relate to the work that you do and how you see the world? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, so I, I was, a, I got my PhD in the sociology of education. Um, and so I'm always thinking about the way that social structures, um, social histories, social policies shape the landscape, particularly of, of inequality around us. And so I, I wrote my dissertation on the educational experiences of people who were sentenced to life without parole as children. Um, mm -hmm. So the United States is the only country in the world that sentences kids to life without the possibility of parole. Um, and I've been teaching in prisons and jails for the past several years, um, even before doing my dissertation research on that. 
and really wanted to get a sense of how, like when you are 15, 16, 17 years old, and you're told that you're going to spend the rest of your life in a cage, like what, what does that, one, what does that mean to you? How do you understand the sort of emotional and psychological impact of that? But also like what motivates you to, to read or to learn or to take a class or to try to get a degree? Um, so that was a lot of my, a lot of my doctoral work was on the relationship between education and incarceration. And this sort of public history um, piece was, was tied to that because I think I've, I've long been interested in the way that this sort of uh, residue of our system of slavery, how, as the scholars of the apartment puts it, how the afterlife of slavery, it shapes the, um, not only our landscape of inequality, but specifically our carceral landscape. And that's why one of the places that I started that I think brings both of those things together, both my doctoral research and this research in the book, uh, was when I went to Angola prison. Angola mm -hmm. is the largest maximum security prison in the country. 18,000 acres wide, bigger than the island Manhattan. It's a place where 75% of the people held there are black men, over 70% of them are serving life sentences. And it's built on top of a former plantation. And what I tell people all the time is that if you were to go to Germany and you had the largest maximum security prison in Germany, and it was built on top of a former concentration camp, which the people held there were disproportionately Jewish, that place would quite rightfully be a global emblem of anti-Semitism. It would be abhorrent. It would be disgusting. We would never allow a place like that to exist because it would so clearly run counter to all of our moral and ethical sensibilities. And yet here in the United States, we have the largest maximum security prison in the country where the vast majority of people are black men serving life sentences who work in fields for virtually no pay picking plants and crops while someone watches over them on horseback with a gun over their shoulder. And so part of what I'm exploring when I go to Angola in the book is like, what are the ways that a history of white supremacy not only enacts physical violence against people's bodies, but also collectively dubs us to certain types of violence that in another global context would so clearly be unacceptable. And, and it's, as I said before, the way that the, the afterlife of slavery uh, it continues to shape what our carceral infrastructure looks like. And, and not only that, but what does it mean that that, that place has a gift shop? And in the gift shop, mm. you can buy coffee mugs and shot glasses and T-shirts with, you know, and, and sweatshirts. And on some of the paraphernalia, it has the silhouette of a watchtower. And above and below the watchtower reads Angola, a gated community, as if to make a mockery of or belittle the experiences of the thousands of people who have been incarcerated there, who are incarcerated there, the tens of thousands of people who have been incarcerated there over time. And so for me, you know, I think it, I bring it up because I, it bridges, I think the, the Angola chapter specifically brings together my interest in public history, my interest in sociology and understanding the sort of insidious ways that 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 the past can meet the present um, and, and that that can manifest itself as a new uh, gruesome institution in and of itself. And, and the reason that I'm interested in this is because I'm, I'm generally interested in making sure that we understand that the reason one community looks one way and another community looks another way is not simply because of the people in those communities, but it's because of what has been done to those communities generation after generation after generation. It is not a result of cultural disposition. It is not a result of genetic inferiority. It is not the result of uh, biological differences. It is because over the course of American history, resources have been allotted to certain communities and have been taken away and stripped from other communities. And that that provides the, the basis upon which American inequality has, has come to perpetuate itself. 
Clint, you're just like a fountain of so much information and knowledge on, on all this. And we appreciate you sharing this time with us. I want to ask you, Charlotte Rose, um, and I wish there was so much more time to connect about all of this with each person, but like, how does what Clint shared relate to like the things that you're interested in and how you're hoping to make an impact in the world? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, that was incredible to listen to. Um, I had no idea that you had gotten a sociology PhD. So um, that was a fun connection. I'm also going to study abroad in Dakar. So oh, that's another, that's like, I, yeah, there's lots I could pick your brain about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. There are so many questions to ask. There's so many not not just about what you just said, but about um how do how do we have how does we have as a country allow for 16 17 year old people as as you said to receive life without parole like how did that happen yeah. it seems like like if we would hear about that in a different country it'd be like that's it's that's you know absurd it, it makes no sense those are children um we treat those people as children um and so i guess then yeah the next question is what do you do about it if it's something that's accepted as such a, a norm here that there's a, a prison so large that on like, you know, it's it's all normalized. It's all not something that you would know about unless you're in an interview with with Clint Smith. And um, and so I guess then my question becomes and this is like, you know, the question of academia, too. You know, I'm sitting here at, at the at a university asking all these questions, reading all these papers and then you know, then the next problem becomes, well, what do you do about it? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I, that became really clear for me when I was getting my doctorate, especially, was that I think similar to you, I was, you know, I was at Harvard and I was like reading Foucault and reading all this kind of carceral theory. And, and I think the thing about a place like University of Chicago or a place like Harvard, these are great schools, but if you're not careful, your feet can begin to sort of levitate off the ground a little bit. You can become disconnected from the implications of the intellectual work you're doing and the sort of on the ground human implications of what you're studying, right? It can, I know for me at least, if I'm not careful, these things can become intellectual abstractions and not real, right. real tangible things that impact people. So right. part of the reason I started working in prisons was because I felt strange reading so much about mass incarceration and not interfacing with people who were actually incarcerated. And I think it wasn't until I spent time teaching in prisons and working with people who are incarcerated that I gained like a more holistic sense of what the problem was because it just becomes more human to you, right? Like they're not, they're not just numbers or they're not just statistics or they're not just ideas. These are, these are fathers and mothers yeah. and sons and daughters and people who are, who are funny and people who are brilliant and people who are complicated and people who, you know, are people just like us, many of whom were born into circumstances that are that are unfathomable for many of us, right? Like the sort of intermixed, the, the relationship of um, how so many of these folks are coming from communities saturated with poverty and violence. I think what it did for me was, was disabuse me of the idea that it couldn't have been me, right? Like I think it became very clear working in a prison for me that, but for the arbitrary nature of birth and circumstance, it very easily could have been me inside of this prison rather than somebody who gets to walk in and out of them. Um, and that had I been born into a different set of circumstances, my life trajectory could have taken on uh, a very different direction. Um, and I think that that, you know, we were talking about empathy before. I think that that 
really enhanced my sense of empathy because it's like, you know, it just makes clear, it makes further clear that this is not, that the reason somebody ends up entangled in the criminal legal system is not singularly because they are bad people or because they did a bad thing. Um, Oftentimes what led them to becoming entangled in the criminal legal system in the first place was a sense of desperation, a sense of fear that made them do things they otherwise might not have done. Um, And it's especially true for for young people. Many of the young people who end up getting sentenced to life sentences when they're, again, 15, 16, 17 years old. Yeah, that's powerful. That's all powerful to hear. And in a second, I'm going to welcome in Ramaya Davis. And I just want to thank you, Charlotte Rose, for um, being part of this conversation as we kind of get started out. Um, but, you know, I, is there is there anything else uh, that you want to share just while you're here? I think at the end we'll have some maybe a, a time where everyone uh, comes back in to, to for final thoughts. But anything else that you want to share uh, before we we say goodbye and welcome in Ramaya? So I want to first off, thank you so much for for, ha- for being a part of this conversation, um, Mr. Smith, and then um also the ideas of like action and making things so real, I think is really what LearnServe is all about. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we've gotten to speak today. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Charlotte Rose. And Clint, yeah, it's so powerful to think about because even as you're saying that, um, and as we are talking about uh, in, incarceration and about uh, like, I'm going to hold up the book again. I have to keep, I'm going to keep holding up the book. Uh, But, you know, about slavery, it's interesting because even for me, it like brings it all closer to home because it's so easy to look at the reasons, uh, the the, the benefits that we have, the privileges that we have that don't put us in those situations or, you know, how our lives would be different, how we'd benefit from the systems that, uh, that we've grown up in, which are still broken, but a lot different than those of folk of of many folks who are either incarcerated or different than um, folks who, of course, uh, were in slavery. And so, um, I want to welcome in Ramaya Davis and Ramaya. Um, I'll I'll add Ramaya in a second once she is able to turn on her video and everything else. But just to introduce Ramaya, Ramaya is a high school senior and LearnServe student with a venture focused on designing curriculum to teach African American. Um, history and culture in school and doing a lot of very powerful, interesting stuff with that. So Ramaya, thank you for joining in. Um, Do you want to talk more about like your venture and just uh, who you are introducing yourself uh, as part of the conversation? Hello, my name is Ramaya Davis. I'm a senior at Thurgood Marshall Academy Public Charter High School in Washington, D.C. And um, I started taking on the initial idea of doing curriculum for African, African-American history um, during LearnServe as I served as a fellow in 2020. Um, when I was thinking about my venture, what I wanted to do while I was in LearnServe, I kind of just was like, oh, maybe I can write a book. But for some reason, that didn't feel impactful enough for me. So I decided to do curriculum and help um, well, the goal is to go all across the U.S. and have like a standard for African-American history in schools, but start off where I'm from, um, D.C., locally, um, putting more standard, require, require, required 
standards for African-American history within the social studies standards of the DC's uh, public school system. And I kind of been all around with trying to figure it out. I've written poetry about different social issues that um, I care about. Uh, I've I actually currently co-teach a class where I teach African-American history in the lens of how you can advocate for social change or be an organizer at my school currently. Uh, and it's been an interesting experience, but um, overall, I'm grateful for the experiences I have been given to e either learn or or advance my curriculum in different ways of learning different methods. Yeah, I just want to give you a shout out, first of all, Ramaya, because when I was a senior in high school, I what like I wasn't even one thinking about um, thinking as much as I am now about like African-American history and culture and how to integrate that into schools. But I don't know if I would have been able to pull together everything that you've done with just teaching others, which is so powerful. But I want to kind of turn to you, Clint, like what is the importance of curriculum in these topics that we're, we're talking about that when it comes to slavery, when it comes to incarceration, when it comes to just a better understanding of how those uh, these different systems manifest in our in our world. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so glad to hear Ramaya is working on this because so much of what animated the desire to write how the word is passed was a recognition that there have been so many gaps in my own education growing up. A recognition that I hadn't been taught about the history of slavery, that I hadn't been taught about the history of a Black America in any way that was commensurate with the impact that it's had on this country. Uh, and so, you know, when I was a kid, I felt a sort of psychological and emotional paralysis where I was inundated with these messages about all the things that were wrong with Black people, right? I was inundated from the media. I was inundated from school. I was inundated from all over about people saying, like, Black people do this wrong. Black people are violent. Black people are poor. Black people are X, Y, Z. And I never had the language or the toolkit with which to push back against it. I never had the information yeah. or the history with which to reject so much of what I was hearing. And I think at its most insidious logical endpoint, you sometimes begin to internalize what you hear if you don't have the information to push back against it. And, and it wasn't until I got older and through my 20s and into my 30s where I started learning more about this history, where I started learning about the history that explains why the country looks the way that it does today, that I experienced a sense of like, that it, it was a sort of, emancipatory experience. It was liberating, right? Because you finally have information to understand why DC looks the way that it does or why yeah. New Orleans looks the way that it does or why the country looks the way that it does. And then this country can't lie to you anymore about why it looks the way that it does. And, and I think that that's so powerful. It's something that I wish that every young black child and, and honestly, every child in America got to experience so that we can be clear on why the inequality of the country looks the way that it does and not fall into the trap of blaming it on de 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 the specific demographics of people, but instead blaming it on the policies that have prevented certain demographics of people from having access to the levers of upward mobility in the same way that other communities have. Yeah, this is powerful. And I'm I'm curious, Ramaya, from your perspective, just to hear, like, what do you see as some of the, you know, from your perspective as a current student in high school, what do you see as some of the gaps or issues just when it comes to like 
this education, this really important education in schools uh, or in your school experience. Um, I'll also say before you answer that, that in a second, once you answer that, I want to bring in also bring in Chris Cole to join the conversation because um, he had a very uh, related venture. But um, yeah, Ramaya, what are some of like the gaps you're kind of seeing and hoping to address through your venture? Um, engagement. That's the big thing. I don't mm. throughout my school career so far. I haven't seen a lot of my peers being that engaged, but sometimes they will be. Um, I kind of still trying to figure out why history about people that look like them is not as engaging. I mean, they already don't like American history, but like just the difference of who the story who the story is about or the event is about. Um, the level of engagement is not to my standards. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on trying to get that and to be more interesting. Like I've tried to do film discussions. Like I did a big film discussion panelish uh, thing with my school last school year on Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I brought in like guest speakers to talk differently. I mean, talk about their perspective of the meeting of the Black Panther Party, um, even someone that has family that was a Black Panther. And also they just were uniquely important to the conversation because they either are from or live in prominent cities of where the Black Panther Party was. And I also am a big fan of Fred Hampton. So I wanted to engage them and to learn about who he was because he's not talked about often. And also the Black Panther Party is not really talked about often. I didn't learn about the Black Panther Party until I was in middle school. And it, it took mm -hmm. me to do my own research from what I learned in class to have so much knowledge about who different people are that were part of the party, what they stood for, and how what they did benefited Black communities or oppressed communities, and also how the government targeted them. And also, inclusion and one of my most recent things I say that helped me connect more information about how I want to frame my curriculum is my yeah. trip to it's called a civil rights trip my school does um they canceled it last year because of COVID but we were able to do addition we went to from Tennessee to Mississippi oh, wow. uh, Alabama we went in Georgia, but something happened and we didn't get to finish that. But I know for sure we visited Mississippi, um, Alabama, and Tennessee, um, mm. different parts. And that really engaged, like going to those museums down there, being able to go to the, the Legacy, Legacy Museum by Brian Stevenson, um, um, really impactful because we had the, DC has the African American cultural, but I feel like I learned a lot more deeper detail by going through the civil rights museums down in the South and also going through the Legacy Museum, learning about slavery and how they memorialized the victims of lynchings and uh, tell stories about incarceration, have real interactive parts of the museum where you can engage and kind of get a more feel and sensible, meaningful um, learning experience about those hard time periods and hopefully engage like my peers to 
want to come back home and figure out what they can do possible and what they're interested in. That's all really yeah. the goal is when I teach and uh, or bring ideas to a wider group is just kind of to inspire them to figure out whatever they're passionate and doing or like to do, how they can impact the world and change because nobody can do it all. And we all are unique enough to come out in the world and make a change through what we love. Yeah, you just said so much that um, perfectly set up uh, Chris Cole, who I want to introduce. Before saying goodbye to you, Ramaya, I want to welcome in Chris Cole because um, one, he has in common with you just a passion for using the arts to educate, to engage people. He, um, as I found out when I visited the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, he was actually some, he was featured, he was on a, on a big screen talking about uh, Black history and its importance when I was there. So um, living, living Black history in real time, I'm going to welcome in Chris just because um, you have very similar ventures, but I want to know, Chris, um, how this kind of resonates with with you, and 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 maybe we could get to a question from Clint based on that. Yeah, well, um, Clint, uh, Ramaya, it's great to meet you both. Scott, it's great to have this conversation with you as well. I apologize, I wasn't able to uh, introduce myself before the conversation, but um, I, I've just been smiling to myself hearing uh, about your venture and reminding myself of when I was in your shoes, similarly to you, my venture started off in uh, bringing African-American culture and history into schools, uh, specifically making it uh, a required course for high school students. And uh, I found myself in that, you know, really it's more of like an identity crisis. I was very passionate to have it, but I wasn't necessarily, I didn't see myself as wanting to become a teacher and fix a problem myself. And um, you know, it was hard to get um, my friend's attention to at the time and to get their engagement. So like you, I um, I took something that everyone of our generation is interested in right now, which is media and movies and social media. Um, so uh, I definitely want to congratulate you on your process so far and tell you from firsthand experience that it's just a, it's just the tip of the iceberg and that there's so much more um, you know, that you can do with that project and make it specifically yours. Wow. Thank you. Wow. This, this is deep. And and again, before letting you go, Ramaya, I just want to turn to Clint because, Chris, one of the things that we discussed a little bit beforehand was media representation and the role that media plays. So there's the curriculum in classrooms that we bring, but then there's also using film. There's And Ramaya, you gave some examples of this too, right? But like Clint, from your perspective, what is the importance of that storytelling and of, of, of some of those other um, media to engage people when it comes to getting them to care about, about all these issues? Yeah, I mean, it, it's essential. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear Ramaya and Chris talking about both the, the, the multiple ways that it's possible to, uh, to inform and engage and teach people about this outside of a traditional textbook or outside of traditional lecture. Um, because there, you know, we live in a, in a digital age. We live in a, an age where like media is the mechanism through which so many young people in particular are learning about the world. I mean, I, I'm not on TikTok, but sometimes I lurk a little bit. And and just the, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away by how so many of these young people are out here like taking 
I mean, they take, you know, some of the things that I talk about in the book and like break it down into like a one minute TikTok video. Use, you know, they're mm. like, and it's engaging and it's funny and it's powerful. Um, and they're using like sound. I mean, it's, it's, it's really incredible. And I think that we should take that seriously, right? Just because something's in a textbook or just something because something's on a PowerPoint presentation doesn't make it more legitimate a mechanism to teach somebody than, than other forms of media. And part of what I try to think about, like I teach the, uh, I'm the host of Crash Course Black American History, the YouTube series. And so if people, I know a lot of young people are familiar with Crash Course and these 10, 15 minute YouTube videos uh, that are partially animated that teach about different different subject matters. And I do black history one. Uh, you know, that thing has 13 million subscribers. Um, and and I, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are people who are going to watch those videos about different parts of black history who will never pick up my book. But that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Because people learn in different ways. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's podcasts. Sometimes it's and sometimes people learn better from audiobooks than physical books. Sometimes people learn better watching a video than hearing a lecture. I think that we have to, you know, the, the Harvard uh, educator uh, and researcher Howard Gardner always talks about this idea of multiple intelligences. And that means like there are multiple ways that people learn. There are multiple ways that people express their own brilliance and their own intelligence. And we have to take that seriously when we're thinking about ways to, to engage people, especially in 2022, you can't teach people like it's 2002 or 1992 when we live in a fundamentally different moment than than people did before. That's really powerful. And so, uh, Ramaya, for now, we'll say bye to you. I'll welcome you back as we come back to uh, wrap up. But um, Chris, again, uh, with you here, kind of just to continue that conversation, um, one of the things that I want to kind of turn to is um, just like, I mean, the fact that the three of us as three black men are here having this conversation. I'm always amazed whenever I'm in a conversation um, like this, too, because I look at the media that we see and I'm like, oh, man, even this whole stream, even like this. These are not com- these are conversations we need more of um, truly. But. Um, Chris, I kind of wanted to hear from you because um, I, I want to see what you wanted to dive into with Clint in particular. I know there's so, there are so many directions we could go in. Yeah, I, um, Clint, I'm, I'm honestly a big fan. I'm, I'm so glad that I had this opportunity. I've been doing my research. Um, I really enjoyed listening to your poetry, uh, reading uh, snippets of your book as well, and just hearing you talk about it and your experiences. Uh, something that stood out to me. I've always been interested in history, and I think LearnServe gave me the platform to really dive into that, uh, you know, and the resources, of course, too. And going into college, I kind of continued doing that. And uh, Matt, you mentioned earlier in terms of, uh, you know, what type of art are we looking for and things of that in terms of representation, like what should that look like? Um, For me, I think a prototype of that has always been the film Get Out, always been inspired Mm. by that movie uh, in terms of how it depicted um, I related it to in college I wrote uh, a paper about that movie uh, for a global film study class and I basically um, um, connected it to France Fanon's uh, black skin white mask and um, you know just how Jordan Peele visually depicts uh, what France Fanon talks about in terms of uh, the void 
of being a black person or even uh, W.E.B. Du Bois talked about, uh, you know, double consciousness and, you know, mm -hmm. things of that sort. So I wanted to really get your opinion, Clint, in terms of, um, you know, what films have inspired you? How do you feel like black media and black representation in the media uh, is holding up in 2022? Yeah, I think it's I think it's essential. Um, and I've been I've been blown away by the, all the, the incredible content that black creators have made over the past several years. And, and part of what I tell people all the time is that I think it is essential that you have things. You know, I think about Barry Jenkins Underground Railroad adaptation um, of Colson Whitehead's amazing novel. I think that that it, it, I don't think it got as much attention as it deserved, uh, but it was one of the most remarkable aesthetically beautiful and thoughtful depictions of enslavement that I've ever encountered. Um, and to have someone of Barry's skill set take on that subject matter was it just resulted in an incredible body of work, an incredible series. At the same time, I'm I am as grateful that he, you know, has made and is working on content that exists beyond the scope of black suffering. Right. I think what is true is that we need content and we need films and we need te television series that outline the brutality and the oppression and the violence that have been enacted on black people. Undoubtedly, I think it, it's such a if you think about how Roots, when Roots came mm -hmm. you know, onto the scene decades ago, how it transformed people's understanding of what slavery was in this country, that's it did something that a, a book couldn't do in the same way. There's something about the cinematic realm that has a specific sort of cultural power. At the same time, it's also important for us to ensure that we recognize that Black people in this country are not singularly defined by the violence and oppression that has, been, that has happened to them. Right, so you need Issa Rae making Insecure. You need people making, uh, you know, writing children's books, not only about Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and John Lewis, but also about the little black kid who wants to be an astronaut and the little black girl who wants to be a rocket scientist and the little black boy who wants to be a, a, a unicorn, right? Like, and, and you just, you know, when I think about the sort of stuff that I want my kids to grow up experiencing, I have a four and a three-year-old, it is the multiplicity of the black experience. It's all of that. Uh, I don't think we have to choose. I think it's a both and kind of proposition. Yeah, this is very, really powerful. And, you know, I just want to turn back to you, Chris, before we, we will come back to you for, for more of the conversation. Is there anything? Um, yeah, any anything that well, actually, more in, in particular, because you are someone who's really focused on like building the future of the media that we see in a lot of ways to stick to this theme. Like, if you had a magic wand, Chris, uh, what, 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 like, what would the media landscape look like when it comes to black representation, when it comes to black voices, when it comes to black media that not only features um, the realities mm -hmm. of trauma and victimhood, but also joy and the ways that we're innovative and all this beautiful history we bring. What like what would that landscape look like um, through the work that you're doing, Chris? Yeah, well, um, great question. I think that um, something I'm very passionate about is similarly to what Clint said is is depicting uh, the variety and the diversity that comes within the black community. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. A lot of times we're only limited to our struggling. And even that is genreified, you know, but, um, you know, to really answer your question, something that I think is has potential moving forward 
is video games. Honestly, the storytelling in that platform uh, is really just now starting to, um, you know, catch wave and, and it's a billion dollar industry. And it's also a platform like many other, uh, you know, media, um, uh, media in general, you know, it's vastly uh, missing and lacking black people and black representation, especially black stories. Um, so I, you know, I think that growing up as a black kid, I've always wanted to play as, as a black superhero or a black character in a video game and then not just be a gangster or a basketball player, you know, and now that we have these platforms and new technologies where we can immerse ourselves in these worlds, um, I think that black stories would be a great, a uh, place to start um, to really be able to drive points that, like Clint said, that uh, that a book or maybe even a movie couldn't really articulate and make uh, the person feel. Yeah, one of the things that this is uh, making me think, and thank you so much, Chris, for that. Um, and you know, I, I'll bring you back in in just uh, probably just a few minutes as we start to close out. But I want to kind of pivot from what you were saying, Chris. Um, to welcome in, in Kayla, who is incredible. Kayla, who is actually has something in common with you, Clint, also in terms of being a Harvard at the Harvard Graduate School of, of Education. So there's that. And I'm sure Kayla could kind of mention other overlaps. But um, Chris, one thing that I want to take into the conversation with Kayla and Clint is there are so many different ways that people could grasp this information. There's film, there are books, there are movies. There, uh, again, there are books uh, like How the Word Is Passed, for example. Um, and you know, it, it's important to recognize that diversity of ways that people do learn and engage. So thank you so much for that, Chris. And I'll see you in just a few minutes. But Kayla, I want to welcome you in for this conversation because, um, well, one, maybe you could briefly tell us about who you are and kind of what you're hoping to talk with Clint about because I, I, I know a little bit about it and it's very relevant to what we've been talking about. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for having me here. Um, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to you know participate with LearnServe. It gave so much to me when I was in high school and so I'm always glad to come back. Um, Clint, it's an honor to speak with you and be in conversation with you. Um, when I was an undergrad at Howard, I took a class called Education in Black America, and I was introduced to your readings, uh, or your writings in the Atlantic. That's when I started learning more about you know, education and the power of education in carceral spaces. So it's truly a full circle moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, right now I'm at uh, the Ed School studying education policy and analysis. Um, and I really came into the Ed School really thinking about, you know, this post-secondary um, access, uh, particularly for Black and Brown communities and, you know, how that relates to upward mobility, right? But also in the same breath, thinking about, you know, the preservation of education as a sacred space. Um, it is a sacred space that it's, you know, creates radical imagining. And even Matt, as you were speaking, and I, mm. you know, I heard through, you know, Ramaya and her conversations um, and throughout the, the time, right? Like education is happening always. Yes, it's happening in spaces like Harvard. Yes, it's happening in, you know, higher education institutions, but it's happening in museums. It's happening through film. It's happening um, in jails, you know, it's happening everywhere. And so, you know, I've just been really inspired by your work, Clint, um, particularly in how you, um, 
you know, really speak about how we as adults and all, everybody in society really should hold suffering, right? We shouldn't be scared of, you know, our past and our mm -hmm. history, but really use it um, to inform how we think about our policies and our programs and, you know, reimagining of systems, which is what I'm thinking about right now in grad school. Yeah. And, and Kayla, I just, as a follow-up to that too, like, uh, is there a question or something that you want to kind of uh, dive into with Clint, even just with our, with our limited time as, cause this is definitely a start of a much larger conversation, many conversations, I hope. Is there any aspect uh, that you want to touch on in particular when it comes to uh, how your, how your story connects with, with Clint's and I'm sitting here with two Harvard, um, almost two Harvard uh, ed school alumni. So I'm, I'm going to sit back and just let you do your thing. <laughs> um, I think, you know, Clint, something I'm sitting, you've, you've been here, you've probably sat in Gutman where I'm sitting and taking this call right now. Um, you know, something that I think about and we're always talking about is how do we reimagine something new? Um, how do we create new policies, um, you know, new ways of teaching and all of that. But something that I also think about is, you know, when we look, maybe we're not always having to create something new. You know, there's so much profound history um, and things that we can learn from Black educators. I'm currently taking a class right now on like Black, uh, Black liberatory education, where we, where we learn from the practices of, you know, Black educators, you know, thinking about the Freedom Summer, for example. I wonder, like, how do you think about, like, the balance of, like, learning from the history and the history that we have while also thinking about re-envisioning and moving forward? Are there any, you know, thoughts mm -hmm. that you have around that balance? Um, you know, and I know that us in the ed school, particularly in policy, we're thinking about that, right? Like, how can we honor the history um, and the learnings uh, that we have, right? Also holding space for suffering and things that, you know, are hard to digest, but also reimagine something new. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, that sparks anything for you. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And, um, and I probably, I think I've sat in that same conference room that you're sitting in um, many, many late nights. Um, so, you know, I think it's kind of, I alluded to this a little bit before, but I think it's always a both and, right? I mean, I think it's always a recognition that, I think, you know, so so what happens in education sometimes is that we, we sometimes focus so much on like what is ahead that we do, what, that we do it at the expense of what has come before. So I think about how some of the language that's used when we're talking specifically about young black students um, is that like we have to, they have to have grit and they have to overcome and they have to push through and they have to work hard and they have to, and all of that is true. I think yeah. is important. working hard is important. Overcoming is important. But if that's the only message you're giving young people, and you're not giving them the context to understand what they have to overcome in the first place, you can make them feel mm -hmm. as if they have to overcome themselves and not overcome a history of policies and systems and phenomena that yeah. have actually shaped what their communities look like. I just, I remember when I was a teacher, we had a moment where there was a drive-by shooting at our school and one of the students at our school was shot and killed. And the kids came the next day and there was this sense of despondency and despair, but also a strange air of like inevitability. And I was talking to one of my students and I was like, you know, how are you feeling? He was like, you know, it's sad, but like, 
This is just what black people do, Smith. Like, this is just what happens. And I thought about, like, this is a young black child saying this. And I thought about how, what sort of messages that 15-year-old kid had internalized about himself, about his own community, about his own family, his loved ones, where he comes from, to make him think that this was somehow an inevitable part of what it meant to be a black person in that community or in this country. And part of what that's a result of is teaching that child that somehow the poverty and the violence that exists in that community is the result of something black people have done wrong, rather than because of the sort of aforementioned policies that have prevented folks from having access to social infrastructure, that have prevented folks from having access to the levels of, of upward mobility, that have prevented folks from having access to the sort of uh, mechanisms of, of building wealth over the course of generations that other communities have had. But if you don't ever talk about those things, then a student is going to start to feel like it's a cultural thing or a social thing rather than a sociological or historical or policy oriented one. And so it's it's like, yes, hard work. Yes, great. Yes, push, push, push. But also be clear about why you're in this position to have to work this hard in the first place. And I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. And I think that, you know, some people might say that teaching young people about uh, too much about oppression and violence that has happened can reduce their sense of like agency. But I think it expands your sense of agency because mm -hmm. you recognize the world isn't static and yeah. that different sets of decisions can be made. Um, so so that's how I think about it. Yeah, that's that's so powerful to hear, Clint. And I know all, we we almost have to say goodbye to you as as we get ready to welcome back. I'm going to welcome back in uh, all the all of our different guests in a second. And actually, you know what? Let me just welcome them in now: Charlotte Rose, uh, Chris Cole, Ramaya. I see Scott Reckler also there. Uh, but I'm, I'm the, you know I I really just want to know, Clint, as we wrap up, like. Um, considering the conversation, do you have any words for like all of these amazing, wonderful people who've actually inspired me on my journey too? Any words for them or for the LearnServe community as we kind of navigate these these issues? Does anything kind of stick with you as top of mind, Clint? Yeah, I mean, I think that we are always that like change is not something that is only external. Like it also happens within ourselves. Um, and I think about how every day, you know, I wake up and try to reduce the gap between the person I am and the person that I want to be. Right. And like every day I try to become the version of myself that I hope to be one day. And that's daily work. That's not something that just happens passively. That's something you have to get up and work at every single day. There's like the there's like who you were, who you are and who you want to be. And you try to get those last two to be as close yeah. as possible. And you might not ever get to, because none of us are perfect. And you're never going to get to the like perfect version of yourself. But the more you keep pushing and the more you move through the world with curiosity, with humility, with empathy, and just try to be a better, kinder, more thoughtful version of yourself each day. Like that to me is the, that, that's contagious. And that's going to shape the environment uh, and the culture of the folks around you. And, and more than sort of attempting to change not to say that like, you know, external facing change doesn't matter, but sometimes I think people are, can be more interested in changing other people than they are in, in looking within themselves. And I think it's, yeah. you know, as we said, both and it, it's got to be you got to do work on both ends. And I know that that's something I do uh, every day because I know that I, you know, I still have a lot of work to do to be the version of myself that I want to be. Um, and I just try to wake up every day and 
and get a little closer to that. Clint, you're amazing. Uh, we're going to have just some final thoughts as we wrap up, but um, just thank you again for being part of this and for being part of the conversation today. It means a lot. I can't wait to go back and listen back and uh, hopefully we're all in touch with you soon. Actually, we'll see you soon as part of the gala on, on Thursday. So congratulations again on the Civic Champion Award and thanks again for being part of the conversation, Clint. Take care. So just as we kind of all uh, wrap up, I want to turn to all of you. First of all, uh, Kayla, Charlotte Rose, Ramaya, Chris, thank you for being part of this conversation. Um, I do see Scott there. So I maybe you might be listening in a little bit more, Scott, but I'm going to add you into uh, to as we as we wrap up. Um, you know, I just want to hear from you all uh, from this conversation with Clint, like, any, well, one, like any reactions or final thoughts, but even more, I just want to know, what do you hope people will take away from this? What do each of you hope people will take away from this conversation um, that we had today? Or what do you think people will do because of this conversation we had today? Um, I'll start with you, Kayla, uh, just because you you were coming in so hot with all of the, the discussion just then with Clint. Anything come to mind for you? Yeah, I think I was just thinking about... Um you know, how powerful spaces like LearnServe are, is um, in our communities, right, that allow us to think about history, right, how allows us to think about our communities, to really take a look at what's happening in our community, you know, engage in critical discussion about it, and then, you know, act and do something. Um, and I just hope that people, you know, continue to invest in spaces that are doing this type of work, um, and also just really leaning in, you know, you know, I think we're on a Yes to Youth podcast and like young people. And I think, Scott, you taught, you know, you saw this in me, you saw this in all of us as fellows. And, you know, you continue to do this. But young people have, you know, we see things, you know, sometimes in a in a new way, like, you know, looking forward always. We're always looking forward. How can we improve? How can we, you know, change? You know, how can we, you know, get to something that is better, right, than where we currently sit? And I think that that is so true of young people. And I, I hope that, you know, people watching and people listening, like, you know, really value that in the young people in their lives and continue to invest in spaces that allow young people to lead, allow young people to speak up about, you know, what's important to them and the world that they want to live in and um, really value the perspective of young people. Um, that's what I'm thinking about. Um, there's a lot of both ands I, that what Clint said about both and is so powerful to me um, that we can, you know, we can, you know, hold suffering, we can hold, you know, this, the ugly parts of our past, right, but we can also, you know, re-envision something new and beautiful, and I think that's very resonate, is resonating with me as well. Yeah, and I'm actually, I'm going to turn to you, Chris, uh, up next, and then Charlotte Rose, and then Ramaya for thoughts, but yeah, anything that you hope people take away from today's conversation, or action, anything you hope that they'll do um, as a result of just uh, tuning into this past hour? Well, yeah, I definitely uh, hope that folks educate themselves. Um, and something that I didn't mention before that mm -hmm. is really important besides representation is ownership. Um, you know, that's very, very important, and especially in terms of media. Uh, it's important that we own our own voices and own the platforms that allow us to express our voices without uh, any censoring or, you know, any any sort of uh, guilt, you know, that comes with that censorship. So I'm really, you know, 
happy for this count conversation. I think we all made great points as well. And I just hope that moving forward, uh, we realize that, you know, it takes uh, power and control too, because that's what racism is. It's about power and control. It's not just mm. about, um, you know, not liking somebody over their skin color. So um, definitely putting the power and the representation into uh, the, the, uh, the hands of the voiceless. So. Yes, and Charlotte Rose, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts, how this resonates. Uh, and again, anything that you uh, hope that people will think or do as a result of um, today's conversation. Well, kind of in the spirit of what, what Clint closed out by saying um, is what I can certainly share is what I hope to do when this is over, which is um, really look into what the fellows are doing right now. Um, I think Kayla really touched on this, like the incredible nature of the of the space of LearnServe is that it is all these passionate kids doing similar things to what adults with PhDs from Harvard are doing. Um, mm. And they're just starting off on that journey. And I think it's a really awesome way to educate yourself and see what, what other um, work needs to be done um, through the passions of, of these young kids with their own experiences. That's really powerful. And Ramaya, just to, out of the four of you, uh, I'm so curious, any words you have for us, things that you want people to either think or do as a result of today's conversation? Um, for people, I say, write poetry, right? Um, I think it's the easiest form of writing because it don't have to be a specific way. You can write it however you want it. And for me, moving forward, I'm going to, I hate to say plan because, you know, you plan things and sometimes it don't go how it's supposed to go. But think about how I can use my experience at Howard for the next four years to launch something big that I'm been working on since like high school. Maybe it's the curriculum, maybe it's in my first TV show, maybe it's my movie, but put myself in that tra trajectory to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, and by the way, just to put it out there too, um, and I mean, this is for me, but I and speaking for more of the LearnServe community, like we are all here to support you. I got involved and stay involved because like, I know that so it takes a, it takes a village. That's the saying, right? And we all have the ability to collaborate and contribute to what you're doing. So, Ramaya, as you do those things, like I'm here to contribute whatever I can in my background, in my roles, in any what whatever connections, whatever LinkedIn, all that stuff. Uh, my background is a storyteller, and there there are so many people that we could learn from and build on. I do have to put Scott Reckler on the spot, not only as director and CEO or co-director and CEO of LearnServe, but uh, just as uh, as someone who I see nodding along so much and someone who knows everyone here. Um, yeah, Scott, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I just want to give you the space to uh, voice whatever you're thinking and feeling at, at this point as we get close to wrapping up. Thank you, Matt. And I, I appreciate this space and I appreciate just having spent the past hour listening to the four of you and listening to Clint and those reflections. And I think for me, it's a real 
privileged to be part of this conversation. And I say that as a white man, I say that as a parent, and I say that as an educator, um, to have this space to understand the depth and multiplicity of the Black experience and Black history in the United States is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. And I think Clint caught himself early on. He started to say, this is something that every Black child needs to know. And then he said, no, it's something that every child needs to know. Mm. And for me, again, as a parent, as an educator, and as a white man, absolutely agree with the second part of that statement. Yes, it's absolutely important for every Black child to know, but this is something that is certainly part of, I was going to say human experience, but at least part of the American experience and to really understand who we are and where we are as a country and as individuals within this, within this country. The conversation that we just had, not just Clint and his book and his writing, but each one of you and your voice and your reflection and your take on that, like these are the these are the words that need to be out there in the world. This is the the leadership and example. And I just um, am incredibly grateful for each one of you and every single learn sort of student that I've had the opportunity to work with because you all are the ones who are leading the change. It's not just, hey, wait till you're graduated from college, wait till you have your master's, your PhD, and then you can go out there and do it. But I think Charlotte Rose, you put it excellently. You said, look, we've got high school students right here, right now, who are doing the same type of work as peers with folks who have PhDs, who have decades of professional experience, and you all are doing it with elegance, with grace, with power. And for me, again, you all represent the essence, the best of what LearnServe is all about. This diverse, passionate, empathetic, motivated, dynamic community. Um, and I'm just incredibly grateful that you all are part of it. I'm incredibly honored to be a part of this, this journey. And um, for anyone who is listening in, um, an invitation, if you're not already part of the LearnServe community, I really hope um, you will find ways to connect. The most upcoming one is our gala on Thursday. would love for you to tune in and you'll hear from a good nine or so of our current student leaders who are out there creating change right here, right now. Um, and beyond that, uh, just an open invitation for you all to be part of this conversation and be part of the, the LearnServe family and the LearnServe, the LearnServe vision for the future. So thank you all for being a part of it. And Matt, thank you for hosting this wonderful, wonderful space. Thank you, Scott. And as you were saying that, I just realized how lucky you are even in the role that you are, you're in, because I've had the, you know, like, interacting and, and getting to know Charlotte Rose and Chris Cole as they were working on their ventures and getting to know everyone since I know how much I've been inspired and grown. And actually, I think, you know, for me, especially working to make an impact in the world, I've always been most inspired by people who are younger than me, who are doing what they're doing, because I say, well, well, I could do this too. And so that's a big thing that I just want to thank LearnServe for. Scott, I appreciate those those words as we wrap up. And I wouldn't say you are a very lucky person to know all of these, these people, all of these uh, amazing people, amazing change makers, really. Um, and, and, um, you know, as we wrap up, actually, Scott, I just want to turn back to you because I, you know, like you do this so amazingly, but how could people support LearnServe um, beyond, you know, attending the gala and, and the other opportunities you mentioned? That is a very, very great question. And so I'll answer that in several different ways. Oh. I think the first one is if you are a high school student and you're listening to this or high school age student, we would love for you to be part of our programs. Um, certainly those students who are here in D.C., but we are increasingly having opportunities for students from beyond the D.C. region to be part of this journey. Um, so check us out at learn-serve.org. 
Um, if you are an educator and want to connect with what LearnServe is doing, whether it's nominating students for the program, bringing LearnServe to your school or classroom, or otherwise connecting, um, same place you can go to that website and connect with us there. would love to speak with you. That's how we got connected with Clint in the first place. Um, as a dynamic educator who said, this is what my students need, um, let's make this happen. Um, and then if you are out there as a potential supporter, we would welcome your philanthropic support as well. We are an organization that runs almost entirely off of donations from the community that understands and believes in the power of creating cross-cultural spaces, opportunities for dialogue and understanding, and at its core believes in the power of young people to create change. And so if you are one of those people, um, we would certainly welcome your support at any amount. And you can go to learn-serve.org slash donate make a contribution there, and that goes directly to supporting all the LearnServe programming and allowing these amazing young changemakers to flourish. So in any of those capacities, and Matt, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the mentorship opportunity as well, which was yeah. your entry point to LearnServe, um, that if you are a professional out there and are excited um, and want to both be inspired by and help to further some of these young changemakers on their journey, um, we would love to work with you as well and there are opportunities to provide volunteer support with our LearnServe students as they're developing their social change project. So in any of those capacities or any other ones that I may not have mentioned, we would love to connect with you and really excited to continue that conversation. So thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Scott. And I wish we could be here forever hearing from all of you. But um, just as we wrap up, one thing I want to say is, you know, as I, I like, for Let's Care, I've interviewed 100 plus change makers, including people from the LearnServe community. And one thing I always say at the end of those interviews is to keep impacting. And what I mean by that is that especially for people of a bunch of a ton of different identities, I see my my friend Eric Dowds, for example, um, who lives with type one diabetes. So I think I've mentioned to Charlotte Rose before, um, as you know, Black people, there's so many different identities that we carry. Um, and just being a human, it can be difficult enough to navigate the world. And so through all of those challenges, through those barrier, barriers, I hope that all of you um, will continue to keep impacting, continue to have resilience and to navigate and to know that you have my support, Scott's support, this community's support behind you. Um, so again, uh, as we wrap up, I just want to thank you all again and encourage all of you to keep impacting.